This podcast is brought to you by our very kind sponsors at Solid Point. Now I approached Solid Point to ask if they'd like to sponsor the podcast because I wanted relevant sponsors that architects and other listeners to this podcast can actually use. Now Solid Point are a surveying company providing professional surveying services using the latest technology in drone surveys, laser scanning and building information modelling. Whenever I've gone out for a quote in the past for laser scanning services, not only have they always come back with the cheapest price, but having interacted with a number of other companies, they also come back with the best Revit models from all of their survey data. They're great people to work with. So if you have a project that needs a survey doing, visit their website at solidpoint.co.uk and use the code THEORY to get a free 360 tour with every building survey. That's solidpoint.co.uk. And now, on with the podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to Theory of Architecture. Now following on from the academic paper I read out for the last episode, I've got another one for you this week. This is called Towards a Holistic Architecture, and it's the most academically heavy paper I've ever written. The point of it was to act as a setup for a potential PhD thesis, but I've since decided to switch topics if I ever do do a PhD, which for now I've decided to put off to focus on more practical projects. But this paper nonetheless poses a series of interesting questions around what architecture should be, and more specifically around what would constitute a holistic architecture. So I hope you enjoy it. Please do put some comments if you have any feedback. And don't forget that all of my interviews and all of these podcasts are also available on YouTube. So please head over there and subscribe to my channel. Thanks a lot. Right, let's get on with it, shall we? Towards a holistic architecture. What is a holistic architecture, and how might we best investigate how to achieve it? By Bruce Buckland, 2019. 1. Introduction Presently, the word holistic has come to have connotations far outside of its original meaning. Today, the word has new age and metaphysical insinuations, suggesting indulgence in spiritual or unscientific thinking. The man who coined the term, Jan Smuts, in his book Holism and Evolution, Smuts, 1927, defines it loosely as something that adds up to greater than the sum of its parts. But there is more depth to this seemingly simplistic definition than is first apparent. The aim of this paper is to take the question, how can we achieve a holistic architecture, and consider how we might seek to answer it. It is not the aim of this paper to attempt to answer the question itself. The reasons why this setting out is necessary before the question itself can be answered will become apparent later. It would be remiss of me not to explain my primary motivations for choosing this particular question, as these motivations heavily influence both the structure and the content of this paper. I feel a slight diversion into autobiography is justifiable for this purpose. Throughout my years in practice so far, I have almost never encountered conversations about why particular design choices are made. This may perhaps be down to the particular sample of practices I have worked with, but from what I can tell, this is largely the case across the profession. Equally, I have found the depth of analysis within the architectural media to be disappointingly shallow 
in the degree to which it delves into the theoretical side of building reviews and wider architectural analysis. Even in academia, I have frequently had to persist with more than should be necessary effort to get any more than two or three layers of reasoning back from a given design choice, and even then I have usually found the base propositions wanting in their theoretical justifications. That is not to say that such theoretical thinking does not exist in academia, far from it. There is a great deal of academic literature, both on theory and on the relative merits of its various propositions. It is not my contention whether or not such literature exists, rather that said literature is not sufficiently prominent within architectural practice, architectural education, or critical professional dialogue, much to the detriment of the resulting built environment. Therefore, my primary motivation for undertaking study in this area and writing this paper is to make some attempt to bring such theoretical engagement back to prominence in day-to-day architectural practice and critical discourse. It should be noted that there are important assumptions contained even within this assumption. For example, why is it so self-evidently desirable that such subjects ought to be prominent within the profession? There is also the question about whether such theoretical discourse ever actually held a prominent place in professional discourse at all. These are both assumptions that this paper seeks to address. It is worth noting that due to the nature of holism as a topic, there will always remain a degree of uncertainty that is an unavoidable consequence of the subject's ontology. The reasons for this are outlined later in the paper. Consequently, it is necessary to construct the relevant arguments in such a way as to take account of this uncertainty and establish answers compatible with it, otherwise the answers would not be sufficiently encompassing of the question's broadest implications to be able to support the theoretical framework we are seeking to set out. In other words, the conclusions we reach must be valid whether or not all the questions we have asked can be answered. Finally, a note on terms of reference. Given the primary question we are attempting to try to answer beyond this initial paper is, how can we achieve a holistic architecture, it is worth for the sake of convenience in prose to decide on a term for the follow-on paper that would actually do the answering, as opposed to this paper which discusses how to do the answering. Such a subsequent paper would have to be comprehensive, Therefore, we will use the term comprehensive treatise when referring to it. It is worth noting, however, that this first paper exists independently of the hypothetical second one, and is focused primarily on defining what such a comprehensive treatise would have to do in order to be comprehensive and to answer the key question, how can we achieve a holistic architecture? 2. Why write about architectural theory? 2.1. Introduction. Many recent trends in architecture could easily be interpreted as suggesting that theory is no longer necessary, or at the very least is decreasing in relevance. The increasing use of standardization and off-site manufacturing, as well as greater use of parametric modeling, are together leading to ever more aspects of design being generated by algorithms, or to some degree being taken out of the direct control of architects. This is mostly on larger projects, though not exclusively. Smaller projects still tend to operate in much the same way as they always have, 
in an almost entirely manual process. Though BIM and other 3D modeling tools have become more commonplace, these tend to be used in a manual capacity rather than in an integrated autonomous way. None of these technologies are inherently good or bad, but the potential for widespread propagation of buildings conforming to the current architectural status quo increases the more that advanced, highly efficient, highly productive tools are being used to create them. There is, however, a caveat to this line of criticism. Whatever tools are available, they can almost always be used in a wide variety of ways, and in seeking almost any predetermined desired outcome. The tools themselves are therefore less important than the theoretical reasoning behind why certain outcomes are desired. To seek to understand such reasoning is the task of theory. Theory links physical entities and their methods of creation with wider academic and moral frameworks. It provides the reasoning for why choices are made one way rather than another. Without understanding theory, architecture remains intellectually shallow and undeveloped. But why should a theoretically undeveloped architecture be necessarily worse than one that is theoretically developed? The answer is that devoid of any underlying philosophy to hold it together and provide a coherent theoretical narrative, architecture becomes vulnerable to alteration from other influences that act simultaneously but pull in different directions, reducing or eliminating architectural coherence. A theoretical framework acts as a barrier or break to such outside influences. Architectural theory has a long and complex history, often rooted in religion or other contemporary socio-cultural phenomena of the time. It is not within the scope of this paper to go over the entire history of architectural theory, though this would undoubtedly provide a useful contextual framing to indicate how theory has advanced, or quite possibly regressed. Rather, we must concentrate on the current state of theory and practice, and their potential future. More broadly, we can link architecture to the panoply of other academic disciplines and show that you cannot have a non-holistic theory of architecture that is sustainable. This paper is an attempt to establish how to go about answering the question of how to build a holistic theoretical treatise from first principles, one which asks the most fundamental questions about the nature of reality as studied in various disciplines across academia and then applies the answers or lack of them, directly to architectural theory and practice. 2.2. Theoretical Engagement and Relevance Previous theoretical frameworks, often backed by religious certainties and moral absolutes, Kraft 1994, have in the past few decades given way to a blind theoretical drifting by most architects through both academic and practice life, rooted in the theoretical failings of global modernism. Glendinning, 2010. Architects have stopped asking themselves why they make the design choices the way they do. This simple procedure of asking why has almost entirely gone from daily practice life. It is absent from university studios, journals devote little or no column inches to it, and it is seemingly no longer of concern to most architects. But he's asking why actually is absent as it seems. Once you start asking why, you very quickly find yourself having to define a theoretical framework with which to justify your choices. 
this often manifests itself as a moral or political agenda. In the present year, political agenda are not hard to come by, including within architecture. However, once examined, these agenda are usually very quickly exposed as shallow and without a deep intellectual foundation. The chain of causalities leading to their justification is typically very short indeed. The validity of the implication contained in this criticism, i.e. that there should be a chain of causalities of one length or another, is one that itself must be examined. Taking that critique as a valid one for now, this lack of a chain of reasoning cannot be the case for a holistic architectural theory. Such a theory must have the most extensive possible justifications, with causal chains leading as far as it is possible to go, right up to the limits of knowledge in every conceivable direction. This is implied by the definition of holistic, as is set out in the next chapter. Throughout history, old theoretical frameworks are continually replaced with new ones, as societies and their values change, as new scientific discoveries are made, and as new philosophical arguments are set out. Given the seeming ubiquity of these socio-cultural and civilizational vicissitudes, Kaufman 2016, West 2017, would it be possible to set out a theoretical framework that takes into account such fluctuations and is therefore entirely temporally independent, or even wholly spatio-temporally independent? 3. What would be a holistic architecture? 3.1. Defining a holistic architecture. 3.1.1. The definition of holistic. Holistic. Adjective. 1. Of or relating to holism. 2. Relating to or concerned with wholes or with complete systems rather than with the analysis of, treatment of, or dissection into parts. Unfortunately, several cultural movements in recent decades have given a bad reputation to the word holistic. The word now has associations with alternative medicine and other unscientific disciplines that have tarnished the word. For the sake of academic progress, and in order to most accurately reflect the concepts under consideration, the word must be understood by its actual definition rather than by its associations. For this thesis, holistic can be most simply defined as considering everything. The dictionary definition above gives a longer version of this distillation. A holistic architecture is therefore an architecture that considers everything in its conception and execution. Everything means exactly that. All of space, from immediate urban context right up to the edge of the visible universe and beyond, and all the way down to the smallest subatomic particles, and all of time, from the infinite past to the infinite future, and lastly, all of complexity, from the dynamics of galaxy clusters to the interactions within quantum fields. Everything means everything, and holistic means taking all of it into account. 3.1.2 A Note on A It should be noted that we are using the term aholistic architecture rather than merely holistic architecture. There are important reasons for this, as there is a vital distinction between them. Holistic architecture 
refers to specific instances of architecture, usually buildings, that are holistic, by whatever definition of that term we settle on, whereas aholistic architecture refers to the entire discipline of architecture that is holistic. It is therefore possible to have instances of holistic architecture within a non-holistic discipline. Equally, there could be instances of non-holistic architecture within a holistic discipline. Broadly, however, given the influence of a discipline's nature on the outcomes resulting from its practice, it is reasonable to assume that a holistic architecture will result in mostly holistic architecture being produced. And the same goes for a non-holistic architecture and non-holistic architecture. 3.2. Holism versus Reductionism. 3.2.1. The Definition of Reductionism. Reductionism. Noun. 1. Explanation of complex life science processes and phenomena in terms of the laws of physics and chemistry. Also, a theory or doctrine that complete reductionism is possible. 2. A procedure or theory that reduces complex data and phenomena to simple terms. The dictionary definition given here is interesting in that by the first definition given, it might seem to fit well with the notions of holism, i.e. in seeking a deeper understanding of entities through the use of more fundamental knowledge. However, there is a key distinction between physicalist and atomistic use of reduction and holistic use of it, especially as it relates to emergence. Humphreys 2016. A hypothetical comprehensive treatise would need to examine these distinctions carefully. 3.2.2. Are non-holistic and reductionist equivalent? The terms non-holistic and reductionist are not entirely synonymous. Non-holistic is a much more specific term than reductionist, in that it is a very clear antithetical to that which is holistic. The term reductionist, or reduction, however, is used extensively within the philosophy of science in multiple ways. There is a great deal of debate about the meaning of the term, the possible variations of its general definition, and the possible variations in the kinds of reduction present within different areas of study. Beer et al. 2009, page 632-645. A comprehensive treatise would need to set out precisely what these differences between terms and subterms are in order to ensure that the particular varieties of reductionism that may or may not be present in architecture are understood by their greater or lesser degree of opposition to holism. 3.2.3. Seeking arguments for and against holism. It might be assumed, given the primary question we are seeking a comprehensive treatise to answer, that we are implying that a hypothetical holistic architecture would be better than anything that might be non-holistic, whatever form that took. This is an understandable assumption, given the question, but it is one that should be avoided. In seeking to answer this question, we must maintain a neutral perspective, as part of answering it with absolute academic integrity is keeping open, on equal terms, the possibility that a hypothetical holistic architecture is not in fact better than some form of non-holistic one. We will also have to define what we mean by better. This in itself fits by necessity into the need to be comprehensive. 
3.2.4 Can something be greater than the sum of its parts? Some definitions of holism make reference to something that is greater than the sum of its parts. This seemingly simple phrase has deep ontological implications in the realms of reduction, causation, and emergence. To break this down in seeking the veracity of this phrase will take a significant analysis of the numerous perspectives in those areas. It must also be done in the knowledge that the sorts of questions it raises are not the sort that can usually be answered in any objective way. Consequently, a comprehensive treatise must draw conclusions whether or not definitive answers can be found to the n number of questions that it would have to consider. 3.2.5 Language A lot of the problems with defining a holistic architecture surround the language used in the definitional process. Terminological imprecision causes a great deal of disagreement within the academic communities of the subjects at hand. Indeed, there are entire sub-disciplines that deal exclusively with those linguistic challenges. It is possible to set out numerous philosophies in this respect, but quite how useful doing so would be in seeking to compose a comprehensive treatise is not immediately obvious. 3.2.6 getting bogged down in an infinity of ontological uncertainty. There is a danger in the process of seeking to define and determine how to achieve a holistic architecture that the all-encompassing nature of holism requires us to consider absolutely every possible sub-area of thought in absolutely every area of study in the whole of human knowledge. This is clearly impracticable. So it is therefore necessary to reduce as much of the scope of consideration as possible to fundamental areas of knowledge. Determining which areas of knowledge are fundamental is in itself not a straightforward task, though an allowable degree of imprecision at this stage is not an issue, given that any deviations beyond the initial definition of what we consider fundamental are likely to be small and can be dealt with later if they arise. 3.3 Mapping out a holistic understanding using subject fields. We can use the areas of academic study as shorthand for the understanding of a given set or range of entities. Footnote. The word entities is used here as Whitehead used it. Whitehead, 1928, page 28 to 30. It is not, however, necessary for our purposes to distinguish between the different types of entities he defines. Close footnote. All of the natural sciences can, in principle at least, be reduced to physics. Humphreys, 2016, page 4. Within physics, the picture is slightly less clear. Physicists have yet to solve the contradiction between general relativity and quantum mechanics. Additionally, at the frontier of quantum mechanics, there are differing theories as to the origin of observed quantum behaviour. A comprehensive treatise would need to explore all of these theories, at least in outline, to determine whether there were any differences between them that were of sufficient variance to potentially alter the conclusions we would draw from them in seeking to answer the primary question, how can we achieve a holistic architecture? However, whichever one or other of the competing theories at the sharp end of physics is correct, there may be little need to delve too deeply into the minutiae of these debates, as it could well be the case that they are largely transcended by other, more pertinent areas of study. These include ontology, philosophy of science, and causation. 
These three areas together comprise the major areas of consideration when attempting to determine the scope and nature of fundamental knowledge. A comprehensive treatise would need to examine the key debates present in each of these fields and conclude which are relevant in answering the primary question. It should not be assumed that category differences present within these fields are necessarily the most relevant ones to a holistic architecture. It may well be the case that the key differences in fact exist further up the ontological tree in the realm of traditional philosophy. Though this term could be said to encompass the fields previously mentioned, the realm of traditional philosophy is better thought of as being concerned more with the likes of morality, free will, society, politics, aesthetics, religion, and meaning. A comprehensive treatise may well conclude that these areas have greater effect on a holistic architecture than the areas of more fundamental physical knowledge. Only a detailed examination and consideration of all areas would be able to determine this. To merely state that a comprehensive treatise would need to consider these areas is insufficiently detailed to meet the aims of this paper. We should therefore explore the relevant subjects in a little more detail in order to further specify how they are each potentially relevant to defining and establishing a holistic architecture. 4. Relevant Knowledge in Defining a Holistic Architecture 4.1. Introduction If we are to derive a holistic architecture from fundamental knowledge, we must first define what fundamental knowledge actually includes. As we have begun the process of reducing architectural theory down to its roots by tracing it back through applied academic disciplines all the way down to where we reach classical physics, we must offer a justification of why it is reasonable to do this. Why precisely can it be said to be justified to engage in such distillation at the start of the process? 4.1.1 The need to begin with scientific realism The whole of modern science is based on a scientific realist epistemology. This in itself is based on two core principles. Timothy D. Lyons describes them as follows. Quote, Contemporary scientific realism embraces two core tenets, one axiological and the other epistemological. According to the axiological tenet, the primary aim of science is truth, truth for the realists being no less attributable to assertions about unobservables than assertions about observables. According to the epistemological tenet, we are justified in believing an overarching empirical hypothesis, a testable meta-hypothesis about scientific theories. For standard scientific realism, that meta-hypothesis is that our successful scientific theories are approximately true. End quote. Timothy D. Lyons in Humphreys, 2016, page 564. Scientific realism therefore relies on inductive reasoning, and Lyons goes on to argue that the tenets are insufficient to offer a valid justification for it. So why the need to start here? We cannot undertake any reduction of architecture to fundamental scientific knowledge unless some level of assumption is made as to the validity of the epistemological approach within those scientific methods. The problem, were we to uphold the criticisms of scientific realism from the start, is that we would then be unable to make progress beyond this point. 
This is not dissimilar to the problems many physicists have with quantum mechanics. While they are able to carry out calculations based on the theories put forward, they often have little or no basis on which to found the theories themselves. Jim Al-Khalili refers to this as the shut up and calculate problem, Al-Khalili 2003. We must follow the same principle in our own investigations. It may well be beneficial to return to these assumptions at a later point in a comprehensive treatise, once other epistemological and ontological meta-hypotheses have been explored. 4.1.2 The Problems for a Holistic Architecture of Conflicting Perspectives Any consideration of holism will always encounter the problem that the very nature of a single-issue paper is, by definition, at odds with the definition of holism itself. Any such paper will, by necessity, always be reductionist, and therefore to truly undertake a holistic consideration is logically impossible. So what of this paper, and what of a hypothetical comprehensive treatise? We must carefully specify exactly what is under consideration here. We are not seeking to establish a holistic understanding of holism. That would be a theory of everything. This is the holy grail of theoretical physics, and seeking it is quite clearly not the point of a comprehensive treatise. Our concern is with how to define and achieve a holistic architecture. Meeting these objectives does not require us to answer the great unknown questions raised by seeking a holistic understanding within the scientific and philosophical disciplines, but it does require us to reach conclusions based on whatever state of knowledge, or absence of knowledge, those disciplines presently find themselves in. It is for this reason that we must consider as wide a range of perspectives as possible, but it is not necessary for us to answer long unanswered questions within them. 4.2. Questions from Physics 4.2.1. Introduction We have so far been discussing the seeking of a holistic architecture as clearly beginning with an appeal to scientific reduction, but this may well be considered by many architects as being a gigantic leap in itself. Why is it so obvious that architecture could be reduced to fundamental physics? The short answer is that it isn't obvious at all. However, the process of seeking such a reduction is a vital one in seeking a holistic understanding. The ease with which a reduction from architecture to physics can be done comes about from the clear causal chains that can be drawn across disciplines. Architecture might be said to be composed of applied use of psychology, art, engineering, mechanics, history, interior design, sociology, physics, maths, chemistry, and these days even biology. Each of these subjects is concerned with a range of entities, from a specified scale at the small end to a specified scale at the large end, and from the perspective of a particular framework. Different subjects can deal with the same entities in different ways. For example, Consider the entity of a potted office plant. An engineer might look at the plant in terms of its weight, i.e. the forces it exerts on the building floor plate, or perhaps its water usage as supplied by a hydroponics system. A biologist will look at the same entity and see it in terms of oxygen production in a densely occupied space, 
or in terms of the biodiversity of organisms that might occupy it. The interior designer might see it in terms of human interaction and mood enhancement, as well as aesthetic value and wayfinding assistance. Whatever the perspectival framework, the entity is the same. In addition to the different perspectives on the same entity, each framework will have its own limits of scale or range, R. The interior designer might be said to operate between the scale of material tactility and room spatiality, so perhaps 0.01 metres to 20 metres. The engineer, on the other hand, operates across a much wider range. For a typical school building, say, this might be 0.001 metres to 100 metres. Some disciplines operate across different dimensions entirely. The architectural historian might be said to operate across both the time dimension of history, say, minus 500 years to plus 30 years, and the dimension of psychology, which if reduced to neurology might be considered as 10 nanometers to 20 centimeters, though clearly such a physicalist interpretation of psychology is insufficient. In this manner, all disciplines may ultimately be reduced to fundamentals. Take the chain architecture to psychology to neurology to biology to chemistry to physics, for example. Such a chain is more difficult to draw distinctly in the early stages, i.e. architecture to psychology as it is in the later stages, i.e. chemistry to physics. This is because the number of cross-disciplinary causal interactions increases exponentially the earlier you are in the chain. On an academic level, there is also the ease with which empirical evidence can be gathered at the more fundamental levels. This allows far clearer causal links to be drawn, so far as such things are possible, between more fundamental entities than between apparent causal links at the less fundamental end. This explains to some degree the attitude among many practitioners of the natural sciences that their disciplines are proper science, while the derivative sciences, such as social sciences, are not proper science. There is a fair amount of validity in this criticism in methodological terms, though ontologically it is a difficult position to justify. Incidentally, there is still the physics-to-maths link to consider, which is sufficiently complex a topic to require its own section, 4.4. 4.2.2. Environmental Psychology. For architecture, the nearest equivalent of a scientific culture is found in the discipline of environmental psychology. Some attempts have been made to use the knowledge gained in this field to inform design guidance. Dak Kopeck's book, Environmental Psychology for Design, Kopeck 2006, does exactly this, and the Journal of Environmental Psychology publishes regular papers on studies undertaken, if not on design guidance itself. Despite all this knowledge, there has been no breakthrough of environmental psychology into the discipline of architecture. Some sub-consultants, such as workplace designers, have to some degree begun to use environmental psychology's findings, but architecture has seemingly remained willfully blind to what is its most directly relevant science. 4.2.3 Classical Physics and General Relativity Once we have followed a causal chain from any given subject area down to physics, 
we may well find that the reductions necessary in this process result in such radical implications for a hypothetical holistic architecture that going even deeper into the realm of physics itself seems wholly unnecessary. To stop at this point, however, would be to fail to engage on the holistic level necessary in seeking a comprehensive treatise. The standard model of elementary particles outlines the current understanding of classical particle physics, but is well known to be an incomplete model. A comprehensive treatise would need to explore the implications of the current knowledge, if any, for a holistic architecture, as well as the implications for the remaining unknowns present in the standard model. It is likely that the more epistemological or philosophical arguments will bear greater weight than any subtleties within classical physics itself, but this can only be known once a comprehensive consideration has taken place. Emergence, which I address in section 4.3.4, has the potential to render entities within classical physics of overwhelming significance in seeking a holistic architecture. Even this, however, may well be derivative of even more fundamental knowledge contained within quantum mechanics, which we consider next. A comprehensive treatise would need to examine all of these interactions. 4.2.4 Quantum Mechanics 4.2.4.1 Quantum Field Theory Quantum mechanics exists in the same realm as classical physics in the modelling of particles, while quantum field theory, QFT, deals with the creation and destruction of particles on the same terms as photons. QFT and general relativity, GR, are mathematically incompatible, so one or both must be, at best, only approximately correct. Humphreys 2016, page 567-8. The dynamics of quantum fields have the potential to offer a far more apparent direct relevance to a holistic architecture, as they operate via an ontology that transcends the limitations of scientific realism. Lewis, 2016. Indeed, the range of potential ontologies implied by remaining uncertainties within QFT offer holism a multitude of possible justification routes. The difficulty, of course, is that those very uncertainties also make it difficult to draw any likely conclusions as to what variation of holistic justification is the correct one. In terms of a holistic architecture, this means that if we are to appeal to QFT for a logical line of reasoning towards a holistic architecture, we will likely come up short. A comprehensive treatise would need to explore the variations in quantum ontological interpretation and reach a suitable set of conclusions based on the implications of each one. 4.2.4.2 Quantum Gravity and String Theory The unification of quantum field theory and general relativity by considering space-time as a quantum field is another major aspiration of physicists, and is known as quantum gravity. The implications of such an integration at the macro scale may well have some implications for a holistic architecture, though our conclusions on causation, see section 4.3.5, will likely have an impact on the degree to which this is the case. A comprehensive treatise would need to cover these topics and their interaction sufficiently. As with quantum gravity, String theory is a leading theoretical framework attempting to describe the ontology of the universe. 
it too should be considered by a comprehensive treatise, in such a way as to draw out any implications it might have for a holistic architecture. 4.3. Questions from Philosophy of Science 4.3.1. Introduction To be considered truly holistic, a holistic architecture must understand not only its causal chain back to the natural sciences, but also the very reasons why that science is justified in itself. Philosophy of science is the field of study that deals with the very nature of scientific knowledge, the epistemologies that define how science can and should be done, and how we can determine what counts as knowledge and what does not. Philosophy of science is the most directly relevant field of study to a holistic architecture. This is because how knowledge is formulated has a direct effect on the interpretation of the many unknowns that holism inevitably uncovers and is heavily influenced by. Gaps in knowledge are as important for a holistic understanding as the knowledge itself, and the variance between possible interpretations of those gaps is far higher than with empirically established and broadly accepted theories. A comprehensive treatise would need to spend a great deal of time exploring, considering and interpreting the intricacies of philosophy of science. It is worth saying a few words on some of the subtopics within the subject. 4.3.2 Ontology As well as knowledge of knowledge, epistemology, knowledge of reality, ontology, is also fundamental, if not even more so, to a holistic architecture. Indeed, the ontological exists between the realm of the natural sciences and the philosophy of science. It is deeply entwined within quantum mechanics, but is heavily influenced also by more abstract arguments based on systems theory, complexity, and the entirety of metaphysics. In discussing ontology, a comprehensive treatise would need to examine the various philosophical approaches to the subject, as well as those derived empirically. Indeed, the philosophical arguments are likely to have far greater implications for a holistic architecture, given the speculative nature of fundamental ontology. A number of key academics have offered a multitude of propositions and criticisms of various ontological positions, all of which would need to be considered in a comprehensive treatise. 4.3.3 Reduction Quote The total perspective vortex derives its picture of the whole universe on the principle of extrapolated matter analyses. To explain... Since every piece of matter in the universe is in some way affected by every other piece of matter in the universe, it is in theory possible to extrapolate the whole of creation, every sun, every planet, their orbits, their composition, and their economic and social history from, say, one small piece of fairy cake. End quote. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Douglas Adams, 1979. It may seem that the considerations in this paper are based on the premise that reduction of one entity to another is possible to some degree. However, this is not necessarily the case, as a holistic architecture would encompass the non-reducibility of any given entity or set of entities. However, precisely how reduction does or does not, or may or may not, work 
has significant implications for how, and the degree to which, reduction from architecture to other disciplines and entities is possible. To be able to say that architecture can be understood in terms of lower-order laws of one sort or another is fundamental to the way we can define a holistic architecture. It also ties in closely with the concepts covered in the following sections of emergence, causation, and determinism. There are many types of reduction, derived from and based around varying interpretations of what it means to reduce one thing to another, whether ontologically, empirically, metaphysically, or epistemologically. Humphreys, 2016, page 460-484. A comprehensive treatise would need to delve deep into the intricacies of reduction and seek to synthesize the arguments for each case made into implications for a holistic architecture. 4.3.4 Emergence Just as reduction has fundamental implications for a holistic architecture, so does emergence. Emergence has the potential to set up the conditions to take a reductionist approach to almost any epistemologically finite discipline and turn it into a holistic one. The presence of apparently emergent phenomena has not gone unnoticed in the field of architecture. See Weinstock, 2010. However, there is a disparity between the degree of apparent observation and the degree of ontological or epistemological understanding of emergence. This is not surprising, as it is far easier to blindly label complex phenomena as emergent than to do the necessary scientific groundwork. Indeed, much of the recent rise of interest can be explained along a similar vein. Quote, the failure to carry through reductionist programs in various areas of science, the appearance of plausible candidates for emergence within complex systems theory and condensed matter physics, what seems to be an eliminable holistic aspect to certain quantum systems that exist at or near fundamental level, and the invention of computational tools to investigate model-based claims of emergence, have all led to a revival of interest in the topic. End quote. Humphreys, 2016, page 759. A comprehensive treatise would need to set out the various philosophical perspectives on emergence and infer the implications for a holistic architecture. Emergence has particular relevance in architecture for reasons which only become apparent once the more complex interpretations of its philosophy are explored, but ones which have the potential to be the primary causal influence on architecture of any sort, not least a holistic architecture. 4.3.5 Causation Both reduction and emergence rest their validity upon the assumption of causation. A topic such as causation is such an inherently philosophical one that particular care must be taken to outline the implications of different perspectives on causation, whether ontological, philosophical, epistemological, or of any other sort. With regards to architecture, notions of psychological causation have particular relevance in effect, even if not necessarily by logical deduction. Hume, for one, had much to say on this point. Quote, for Hume, humans are inclined to attribute causation to a sequence of events just in case those events are part of an observable regularity of similar events. The cause event temporarily precedes the effect event, and the cause and effect events are spatially and temporally contiguous. End quote. Beer et al. 2008. 
2009, page 634 to 635. This is neatly summarised in the commonly used Latin phrase post hoc ergo propter hoc, meaning after this, therefore because of this. This is also an informal fallacy, summarised by the statement since event Y followed event X, event Y must have been caused by event X. This is clearly illogical, but just because such a fallacy may be in existence in any given case, that does not necessarily imply that the causal interpretation has no effect. It clearly often does, not least in the realm of architecture. Additionally, devices such as counterfactuals and causal diagrams may be employed to aid our understanding of causation. Pearl Mackenzie, 2018. The intricacies of causal effect, interpretation, and actuality are ones that a comprehensive treatise would need to set out and to deduce the implications of for a holistic architecture. 4.3.6 Determinism Finally, in the quadrumvirate of ontological topics, comes determinism. Like causation, this presents primarily philosophical matters of consideration, though there is to a degree a role for quantum mechanics in providing empirical evidence relevant to this area. Lewis 2016, page 128 to 150. Quantum mechanics's contribution should not go unconsidered, though the various uncertainties contained within it perhaps diminish its utility to some degree. The primary deterministic quandaries stretch across the philosophical, psychological, neurobiological, and even the religious disciplines, and hence there is much that a comprehensive treatise would need to consider in regard to deterministic influence on a holistic architecture. It is worth also noting that deterministic matters can be tied in quite closely with matters of evolutionary psychology, which a comprehensive treatise would also need to spend a reasonable amount of time dealing with in terms of their potential influence on architecture. It may well be the case that upon considering matters of determinism, the closely related area of probability becomes just as, if not more, relevant. Equally, the inverse of determinism, i.e. indeterminism, must not be ignored. Just as counterfactuals are the key to unlocking causal links, indeterminism has much to offer the problems of determinism. Humphreys, 2016, page 210-232. 4.4 Questions from Philosophy of Mathematics If we wish to delve even deeper than the fundamentals of ontology and epistemology, we can consider the very philosophies of mathematics and logic themselves. The utility of such considerations is perhaps even harder to see the relevance of with regards to architecture than those of ontological and epistemological matters, which is not an unreasonable perception. Whether mathematics and logic are considered one way or another philosophically seems unlikely to make much difference over and above the already apparently fundamental considerations mentioned thus far. It is also not clear whether mathematics and logic are in fact any more fundamental than the other subjects, or whether they are merely descriptors of those subjects. These are precisely some of the questions the philosophy of mathematics and logic attempts to answer. Lenebo, 2017, Shapiro, 2005. We cannot consider a comprehensive treatise comprehensive unless it touches on these areas at least to the extent that it is able to establish an approximation of their relevance to a holistic architecture. To not consider them would not be holistic. 
4.5. Questions from Philosophy of Time Architecture can often be thought of merely in three-dimensional terms, as the design and execution merely of objects in space. It is the fourth dimension, however, that of time, which is too often forgotten or insufficiently considered in the conception of the built environment. The physical effects of time on architecture are reasonably well understood. It should be noted, though, that while the effects of time are often stated as if it is time itself that has causal links to physical changes, time is merely a proxy for things that tend to happen over time in this phrase. The examples of weathering, chemical degradation, discoloration, biological colonization, physical erosion, etc., are only the most obvious effects of time on architecture. Much less frequently considered are the non-physical, temporal changes architecture undergoes. These could be perceptual changes brought about by cultural shifts, take for example the way medieval half-timbered buildings were considered by the Georgians versus how they are thought of now. They could be contextual changes that alter how a building is framed. They could be political or societal changes, such as the values a building seems to espouse. Degree of environmental impact, for example, or degree of openness and transparency versus privacy and opacity in public buildings. These are all temporal changes of a non-physical nature. A comprehensive treatise would need to consider these as much as the relevance of physical changes. On the philosophical level, time is a difficult subject. It ties in closely with thermodynamics. Calendar, 2011, page 312-350, Kleinden and Lawrence, 2010. Especially with regard to ontological and quantum mechanical matters of causal directionality. The questions of whether time flows one way and what it means for one event to follow another event, or even if events can themselves be specified, are just some of the problems a comprehensive treatise would have to address in relating time to a holistic architecture. 4.6 Questions from General Philosophy 4.6.1 Ethics As well as the realm of philosophy of science, it is necessary when considering a holistic architecture to look at philosophy more generally, as there are potential influential concepts that could be said to lie outside of even emergent entities if certain interpretations of emergence and determinism are used. These include fields such as ethics, which occupies much of the philosophical debate across the centuries. A comprehensive treatise would need to look carefully at the different competing perspectives on ethics and its perspectives on morality. These include moral relativism, which holds that there is no objective moral right or wrong, moral realism, which holds the opposite position, i.e. that there are objective moral rights and wrongs, and other more subtle moral theories within meta-ethics. To what degree morality ties in with the holistic architecture will depend heavily on the degree of physicalism we can draw from more fundamental sciences and the philosophies of science. Though even if this degree is a high one, that does not necessarily rule out a non-zero degree of causal influence from the ethical and meta-ethical disciplines on our conclusions about a holistic architecture, and also in what way morality integrates with holism more generally. Smuts, 1927, page 322-323. to 323. 
a comprehensive treatise would have to look closely at all these topics and their relations. 4.6.2 Free Will Another area of philosophy that might at first seem to have a tenuous link with a hypothetical holistic architecture is that of free will. The topic of free will is one often fraught with ideological or religious overtones, whichever side of the argument one falls. Harris 2012, Kane 2011. Indeed, there is a conflation too often made between the amount of free will an individual might have and the amount of moral responsibility they take on. The link between these two parts of the debate is not necessarily as close as a lot of writers on free will often make it out to be. Given we are seeking in this paper to delve into fundamentals, before even reaching the point of the debate where morality and responsibility come in, we should consider the physicalist side. Whether free will even exists on a physical level is not immediately obvious. Lewis 2016, page 145-149. As Kaufman states, quote, The standard free will arguments are as follows. 1. Per classical physics, there is no free will. The universe is deterministic, and the present cannot have been different. Also consider the issues of actualism and not knowing initial conditions. 2. Per quantum physics, free will exists, but it is random. So it is ontologically free if measurement is real and ontologically indeterminate, but it is not responsible. End quote. Kaufman, 2016, page 158-159. Kaufman then aims to show that, quote, Quantum measurements of entangled variables can yield an ontological basis for free will. End quote. Kaufman, 2016, page 159 to 171. Beyond the physical level, there are free will arguments made on other grounds, one of the most common distinctions being between incompatibilism and compatibilism, Kane, 2011, as well as numerous variants of determinism, which tie into what we discussed earlier on the more ontological side of that topic. There are also numerous links with psychological, neurological, and biological arguments, which we will look at later on. All these would need to be considered by a comprehensive treatise. The link with architecture in this topic is likely to be found in the non-avoidance argument. This is the simple argument that of all the arts, architecture is the one that can be least easily avoided. Whilst you can choose whether or not to look at a painting or read a novel, you cannot practically avoid looking at or experiencing a building, if you wish to lead a fairly normal life in a developed country, that is. However, this is not the only area in which free will has relevance to architecture, and a comprehensive treatise would need to explore this and all other areas where free will has potential implications for a holistic architecture. 4.6.3 Meaning on an arguably even deeper philosophical level, the idea of meaning, in an existentialist sense, is also relevant to a holistic architecture. As with ethics, even if they are seemingly overridden, or underridden depending on your perspective, by physical entities, there may well be a causal influence of meaning on a holistic architecture. This is perhaps one of the most subjective areas a comprehensive treatise would have to consider, as meaning, if such a thing even exists, is a very personal affair. It may, though, have a high degree of influence on architecture, in the sense that the meaning one ascribes to, if any, 
is highly likely, if sufficiently well integrated into one's life, to influence the sort of architecture one either creates or prefers. The particular varieties of meaning any given individual might ascribe to may also be likely to correlate strongly with one's nationality, culture, or political opinions. If there is a causal link here, then it cannot be separated from these things, and an entire political and moral framework would have to be set out in order to establish the relevant corresponding architectural principles. There is a danger here in seeking to set out a comprehensive treatise of going down the rabbit hole of political and moral disagreement. A holistic architecture should be able to set out its position regardless of the political or moral framework of any given individual or culture. However, it does not mean that it should not vary as they too vary. This may well be a difficult conundrum on which a comprehensive treatise would need to reach conclusions. 4.7 Questions from Biology 4.7.1 Introduction On an interim level between the physical and the ethical is the biological. Few complex systems have been researched more than those of biology, and there is a great deal of knowledge on the correlations between entities in the biological realm. However, biologists much less often announce they have established causal relations than do physicists or chemists. This is because there are almost always a great many unmeasured or unknown variables that could affect their results. The higher you are at the tree of causal relations, the more unknown variables there are, or at least the more there appear to be, and so it becomes ever more difficult to confidently establish causal relationships between variables. Biology relates to architecture from two directions, one from the human, psychological and anthropological side, and the other from the ecological and environmental side. A holistic architecture has particular concern with the latter of these, as these areas hold the clearest links with the wider world beyond the obviously architectural. A comprehensive treatise would have to unpick the detailed interactions between these areas, but it would also need to delve deeper into certain sub-disciplines of biology to seek a better understanding of biology's implications for a holistic architecture. 4.7.2 Evolutionary Psychology if we are to attempt, as we have done throughout this paper, to reduce each discipline or topic to its most fundamental level possible, then one of the potentially most relevant areas of biology we will need to consider is that of evolutionary psychology. It is a matter of great debate whether any meaningful distinction can be drawn between psychological entities that do or do not fall within the purview of evolutionary psychology. Bus 2019. After all, all psychological entities have evolved at some point, or they would not exist. Where the distinction can perhaps be drawn is in placing a focus more on matters of individual and genetic survival as they relate to psychological causalities. Some aspects of psychology can be more easily linked to evolutionarily beneficial behaviour than others. The distinction might therefore be considered a question of degree rather than kind. In terms of architecture, there are a great many examples of psychological effects that relate to our perception of the built environment. Buss describes one thusly. Quote, a prime example is the novel discovery of descent illusion, Jackson and Cormac 2008. 
Jackson and Cormack discovered that people perceive 32% greater vertical distance when viewing from the top compared to when viewing from the bottom. Overestimating vertical distances from the top presumably causes people to be especially wary of cliffs and other positions of height from which they must descend cautiously, reducing the likelihood of death due to precipitous falls. End quote. Bust 2019, page 89. He goes on. Quote, the descent illusion illustrates the logic of a broader theory of perception and cognitive biases, error management theory, EMT. According to EMT, when there are asymmetries in the costs of errors made under conditions of uncertainty, selection will favour adaptive biases, to err in the direction of making the less costly error. Busson Hasselton 2000, Hasselton and Nettle 2006. Our perceptual adaptions are not always designed to perceive objective accuracy. Sometimes they are designed to produce adaptive illusions. End quote. Bus 2019, page 90. This sort of psychological entity has clear implications for architecture. It could be said that if such adaptive illusions are widespread or even universally affecting of perception, all aspects of architecture would need to be considered not in terms of their objective reality, but only of the subjective experience of that objective reality. That, of course, is what the discipline of phenomenology seeks to study. Without wishing to enter into the philosophical positions of that field, we can say with regards to evolutionary psychology that if we were to establish a holistic architectural theory from classical or emergent physical entities, such a theory would need to also be related to its potential subjective psychological effects. Seeking to be holistic as it would be, this is quite necessary. Indeed, it may be that emergent subjective psychological causalities have a far greater influence on the conclusions we draw with regards to a holistic architecture than do any form of derived physicalist conclusions. A comprehensive treatise would have to examine these interactions carefully. 4.7.3 Sustainability Combining some of the arguments around meaning with those of biology and evolutionary psychology, it is possible to make a case for sustainability of various sorts as a fundamental aim of humanity. However, this is by no means an obvious and unchallengeable case to make and many philosophers would offer alternative theses, and even if not necessarily by design, then certainly by consequence. Architecture has a profound effect on both physical resource consumption and the physical and psychological health of its perceivers. Both of these factors can be argued to have a level of sustainability in their relative domains. A comprehensive treatise would need to examine the different types of sustainability and how a holistic architecture might be influenced by the need to increase the sustainability in one way or another, assuming that increasing it is deemed justifiable on a philosophical level. Such variants of sustainability might include ones such as civilizational sustainability, species sustainability, Darwinian sustainability, i.e. survival of the fittest, Dawkinsian sustainability, i.e. the selfish gene, Wilsonian sustainability, i.e. group selection, biospherical sustainability, or some other variant. All of these ultimately have architectural implications, 
as they affect the long-term functions our buildings should set out to perform alongside their immediate utility to the client. Defining sustainability on a systemic level is not a straightforward task either, not least because there may be multiple solutions on a fitness landscape that reach the same level of sustainability but are of completely different kinds with very large troughs in between. Richter and Engelbrecht, 2014. This may well be an explanation of the phase transitions that occur in many areas of complex systems analysis, especially in ecological systems. A comprehensive treatise would need to establish which types of sustainability were desirable, to what degree, and what the implications are for a holistic architecture. 4.8 Conclusion Seeking to define what a holistic architecture actually is by analysing the relevant knowledge would form the majority of a comprehensive treatise that addressed the primary question, how can we achieve a holistic architecture? As mentioned in section 3.2.5, there is a danger of the all-encompassing nature of holism engulfing any attempt of such a comprehensive treatise to be genuinely comprehensive in defining a holistic architecture. In this section, I have attempted to synthesise the key knowledge down to the relevant fundamental areas of contention that would need examining in order to answer the primary question. We must however acknowledge that it may not ever be possible to be truly comprehensive in answering this question. In such case, the answer to the question must take the remaining level of uncertainty into account in its formulation. It would not be easy or simple to properly consider all of the topics and disciplines set out here, but even a best attempt to analyse each area in terms of its implications for defining a holistic architecture would go as far as it was possible to go in assessing those implications. Given the exponential complexity of then analysing the interactions between all these areas, the more complex each of them becomes, it is necessary to place limits on those complexities to stop the interacting emergent implications from getting out of hand. This is the notoriously difficult balance to maintain in dealing with holism. 5. Realising a holistic architecture 5.1. Introduction The primary question we are ultimately seeking to answer is how can we achieve a holistic architecture? The key word to emphasise with regards to this section is achieve. Achievement consists firstly of defining, then of realising. Once a comprehensive treatise has defined a holistic architecture, the methods of which are set out in the last section, it would need to determine how to realise the practice of said holistic architecture in the real world. This is less a purely academic problem and more of a pedagogical, professional, political, cultural and systemic one. In this section I will run through each of these areas where a holistic architecture would need to be realised and discuss some of the questions that a comprehensive treatise would need to answer with regards to universal systemic adoption of a holistic architectural theory and practice. 5.2. A note on desirability of a holistic architecture. Once we have defined a holistic architecture to a sufficient degree, there remains the question of whether such an architecture is more or less desirable than a contrasting non-holistic architecture. This takes us back to many of the same philosophical arguments that we will have examined in defining a holistic architecture in the first place, 
and it is likely that any arguments made on that level will be similarly applicable on the broader level. However, it would be worth a comprehensive treatise taking time to examine the broader philosophical implications of a holistic architecture, and holism more generally, Smuts 1927, in order to properly understand the primary question. 5.3. Complex Systems When attempting to define a holistic architecture in section 4, we were seeking a distillation of knowledge into fundamental entities. With regards to realization of a holistic architecture, the direction is the opposite. We are seeking to understand the interaction of various complex systems to better understand the even more complex system of a holistic universe. The level of complexity involved in this is potentially infinite, but certain rules can be applied, whether heuristically or mathematically, Letwin 1993, Padovan 1999, West 2017, to better comprehend the vast complexities at hand. It may well be the case that precisely the rules that are applied by complexity theorists may also be used by architects in moving towards a holistic architecture. A comprehensive treatise would need to examine these rules to assess their transferability or adaptability to architecture, and whether doing so would aid in the realization of a holistic architecture. 5.4 Areas of Systemic Integration there are numerous complex systems within the architectural world that would need to be integrated within a holistic architectural framework. It could be argued that this should begin at the source of the architectural practitioners, the pedagogical level. From here would flow the clear waters of holistic practice, in theory anyway. The next area of systemic integration would be precisely that, practice itself. This would include the design side and the business side. Linking in closely with these would need to be the financial side, from both a practices and a client's perspective. The latter of these is one of the most important areas. Beyond these would be the need for systemic operational integration, i.e. construction and manufacturing. We are already seeing this begin to happen with additive manufacturing and BIM, but they are far from truly holistic as they stand. A comprehensive treatise would need to deal with these and examine them as to how they might integrate into a holistic framework. The final obvious areas of necessary systemic integration are those of the political and socio-cultural world. In politics, the mechanisms are very well defined and unchanging, so to make alterations in an attempt to further holistic integration would be particularly difficult. On the socio-cultural side, there is perhaps more scope for igniting a cultural desire for a holistic architecture through public discourse and built examples. A comprehensive treatise would need to consider all of these areas carefully in its aim of establishing how to achieve a holistic architecture. 5.5 Incentives When dealing with human-operated systems, Incentives play an extremely strong part in ensuring those systems run well. If the incentives of all individuals at all levels of a system are aligned with the interests, aims, and functions of the system as a whole, there will be a self-correcting mechanism in place at any point where an individual might begin to work against the system. However, if the incentives of the individual within the system are not aligned with the interests, aims, and functions of the system as a whole, 
then that individual will regularly work against that system as they prioritise their own interests. In order to realise a holistic architecture, we must therefore align the interests of both the relevant individuals and the relevant systems and organisations with the aim of realising such a holistic architecture. This is no small task. It is likely that a comprehensive treatise, in examining the current state of systemic and theoretical affairs in architecture, will find something to the extent of an entrenched, non-holistic position in numerous organisations and the theoretical positions espoused by their members. Overturning such positions, if they do exist, would require detailed analysis and strategic thinking in realigning incentives at the necessary levels. It may be that the properties of the relevant memes, Salangaros 2006, page 195 to 219, are such that competing on the same terms by putting forward alternatives is practically or logically impossible. It may be that more disruptive systemic changes are necessary to alter the terms on which competing memes are judged. All these aspects of this topic would need to be examined and tested to as great a degree as possible on a theoretical level within a comprehensive treatise. As with systemic integration, incentives within different parts of the architectural world vary significantly. Whether it be client-side incentives, perhaps mostly financial though by no means exclusively, or academic incentives, perhaps mostly about prestige and intellectual reputation, or political incentives, perhaps mostly to do with electoral success, all of these areas are made up of individuals with their own personal incentives. A successful holistic architecture would be one that aligns the interests of all these individuals and their organisations with its own holistic framework. A comprehensive treatise would need to explore how this might be achieved in terms of systems theory, organisational theory and individual psychology. 6. Conclusion The aim of this paper was to take the question, how can we achieve a holistic architecture, and consider how we might seek to answer it. It was not the aim of this paper to attempt to answer the question itself. We have seen just how complex dealing with any form of holism is likely to be. The number of areas of science, epistemology, ontology, philosophy, systems theory, and all of their derivatives is very significant. To set out a holistic architectural framework would require an acknowledgement that it is impossible to cover all parts of all subject areas, but a truly holistic framework would incorporate that uncertainty into its conclusions. We have seen the relevance of philosophical interpretations of multiple subject areas, we have seen how ambiguous and intangible many of the arguments on either side are, and how difficult it would be to pin down just one from which to draw concrete inferences. We have seen how the very nature of reality itself could be not only relevant to architecture, but perhaps fundamental to it. We have seen how complex systems within numerous disciplines have much to contribute to a holistic architecture. Architects, after all, pride themselves on being generalists. While consultants and specialists know a lot about one thing, we say we know a little about everything, and there is nothing that extends to everything more than does holism. The hypothetical comprehensive treatise, to which we have assigned many tasks in this paper, 
would need to be both deep in its analysis and broad in its scope. If, that is, it sought to be genuinely comprehensive, while itself acknowledging the practical limits of comprehensibility. Setting out such a treatise is the purpose of another paper, but this paper has hopefully shone some light on how it might go about undertaking the task of answering how can we achieve a holistic architecture. <laughs> <laughs>